McNulty stunning for Emilio to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, short yes. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi, Pompey fans, and Boss Pierre Forecast, episode 144. Well, as Pompey's season limps to a close, we look towards the future and see what comes next. Joining the podcast today is Freddie Webb. How are you, Freddie? Hi, I'm not so bad. Yeah, again, a uh, very, very limp result against Bolton, which was a shame. Uh, I've, got my, I've got my hopes up, though, uh, despite the cynicism I had last week, and that's died died a death but always enjoy talking about Pompey anyway on this podcast you know I kept us hanging and I thought it's been a while since the three of us have been back on the podcast but Andy Mitchamore welcome back and what a great job you did hosting last week's show hey buddy yeah thank you very much uh, it's a very different job isn't it hosting I think Fred and I managed to offend as many demographics in our listener base as possible so we've done a good job and now we're handing back the reins to you to take responsibility for the uh, the damage we've done. That is the way it should be, as far as I'm concerned. You did a better job in the hosting that I would have done, mate. So well done. Oh, thanks. All right. oh, we, haven't resor- we haven't resorted to be hosting yet, have we? Oh, God. <laughs> I would genuinely, Fred, I would listen to a 60-minute monologue at the end of the season of you just going, oh, it was just dreadful for like 60 minutes. I would listen to that quite happily. <laughs> season deceased. <laughs> on Luke, I, I, 60 minutes. I, I genuinely would be quite happy if you started doing audiobooks, if I'm honest, Fred. If we found something really like, I don't know, something fairly depressing and you could just read it, if you could just go full-on grumpy Fred mode, I genuinely, I'd pay money for that. If it doesn't work out of the, snoo- of the news, then um, absolutely do it. I can't be cynical for that long. I'm not, I'm not exactly that grumpy. I just get very uptight about things I don't like. Yeah, story time with Freddie Webb. If you want to make that a feature in the off-season, you want to hear a book, whatever it is, at PO Forecast, let us know. We'll, we'll get on board with that. It's absolutely better than sign or decline. It's immediately a better feature. Fred could do like a chap, a paragraph a week or something at the end of the show. It could work. Um, Q, are you better, buddy? Are you well? Yeah, I'm fine, mate. Thank you very much. I'm back with a bit of a bang. I've been mad busy working and not well, which is a really awful combination in life, really, when you're sort of working away whilst feeling like shite but i'm back now feeling good and it's good to have the band back together but let's get into it let's let's get started because first of all we're going to review the game against bolton Full on from that we're going to talk about some of the different bits in the news some contract offers to young players etc and then we put a question out to you guys and particularly right now with how things are going we really appreciate everyone who's contributed to the show and sent messages in because yeah, it's not necessarily the most exciting time with things not to play for, but we appreciate your input. And we said to you guys, will Pompey's new strategy to recruit younger players work out? 
And finally, we're going to preview the all-important game on Saturday away at Cheltenham. Right, let's get going, boys. Bolton. This was a game, wasn't it? I'm going to call it the battle for ninth place. Because let's be honest, is it really us, Bolton and Ipswich, who are left in this battle for ninth place? Ipswich might think they've still got the playoffs hopes alive. I think that's complete false. I don't think it's going to happen, personally. So, the battle for ninth place. It was quite a tight game in the first half when I was watching it. Fair play to all the 700-odd Ports of fans that went up to Bolton on a Tuesday night. That is a humendous effort, especially after following all the other games that have been quite a long way away. The prices of fuel and all that malarkey. But getting back to the game a little bit, it was quite a tight game, wasn't it, Freddie? And I wasn't really sure that Pompey were going to be able to take a chance after watching that first half display. Yeah, Pompey were on the back foot a fair bit in the first half, which was a bit disappointing. They started quite slow. And I got that feeling from watching it. Then I looked at the pressing stats for the game and oof, it, it, it averaged out passes allowed per defensive action at 11.38, which is higher than what Pompey are normally at anyway. For the first 30 minutes, it got as high as 16, which means they weren't pressing really with any sort of aggression. They were standing off a bit. It helped that it didn't work that Bolton would like to retain a bit of possession a bit more. But yeah, they just couldn't get their foot in the game. Kieran Sadler had a lot of joy on that on that right-hand side. Was able to put in a few decent low crosses as well. But thankfully, they didn't, they didn't create had that many good opportunities in the first half. I think there was a good shot from, I think, I think inside the penalty area from Oladipo for Lyon, which Bazuna made a good save for. But that was really about it in the first half. It was, it, it was a bit tepid, but both sides feeling each other out a little bit. But yeah, I think it... it, it how many times have we seen Pompey first halves where they start off a bit slowly, the press is a bit off from where it is and they don't look like creating very much. Yeah, and you you sort of like, I was watching the game and Affeline's always a threat, isn't he? Just playing in behind the two. I thought the centre-backs did quite well marshalling Dion Charles up front in particular, who's a player that I actually really like and he's quite a complete forward was kind of hoping as people who know and listen to the podcast regularly that we were going to sign him, but that's a, that's a story for a different day. Yeah, I, I was pretty impressed with how the centre-backs played in the first half. I think Raglett came across and got a blocking quite early as well that ended up going off for a corner. That was that was quite impressive as well. But Bolton were really sort of on top, but it was a game that you thought Pompey created enough, but it was again in that final third, wasn't it, Andy, in the first half that things just didn't really click. Yeah, I, I don't know if I completely agree with with Freddie's analysis. There were a couple of chances for Bolton, yeah, and Bazunu made that one very good save with his hand or with his wrist. I did feel like Pompey were playing around quite nicely, especially up to the final third, and it just was that last ball that wasn't quite there. How often have we said that? But I do think that the, the performance first half was pretty decent. It would be very easy to come on here and just say, oh, it was a bit rubbish, wasn't it? Just a Tuesday night game, end of the season, two mid-table teams, which is what it's ended up being. But I thought first half performance was pretty decent, really. I was quite content going into half time. I thought they'd turned up, showed a bit of personality. Centre-backs, I agree, had marshaled things pretty well. I really like the lineup that Cowley named. I thought I, I thought I would have picked exactly the same 11 in his shoes. And without huge injury issues, I think that is potentially our... Our strongest 11, you could consider bringing in Romeo at right wing back for uh, for Harness if you're playing the three centre-backs. But obviously, there was a plan for that. I think you spoke about it during the game, Hugh, about um, when we, we got the fall and moved forward. It looked more like a back four almost with Harness moving forward, didn't it? Which I thought was quite interesting. But yeah, I genuinely, first half, 
pretty chuffed. Could have gone a goal up, could have gone a goal down first half. Nothing crazily clear cut. Pretty standard league one half of football. I think away against the mid-table team, it's a pretty, it was all right. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't dreadful. Yeah, I thought out of possession, actually, it was quite interesting, actually, how he played. And it seemed that almost Hayden Carter pushed over to right back and Ogilvy sort of tucked into left back and then, you know, Robertson and Raggett then played in a, in a sort of centre-back position. So it almost became a back four. And then Harness obviously pushing on in a sort of almost a free role when he went forwards on the right, but also cutting on the middle. So him and Jacobs are sort of floating in around the, the, the front two. So it was quite a fluid formation. I don't think it was... It sort of set up in in a sort of a four, but it really did change during the game. And depending on how we were playing, where we wanted to press, whether we were being defensive or, or you know, or going for it as such. Quite a difficult game to analyse because I'm just trying to think of the chances that went on. Maybe we should actually move on to the second half and talk about some of the more things that that happened. So let, let's talk about the goal that moved on because it sort of changed the game going forward. George Hurst breaks through, manages to win a free kick thought that was well played from George. It shows his strength. We're talking about a striker playing up front for us next season, whether it's George or not, but it just shows he has that ability to be quick, to have that burst of pace we've talked about all season and ends up drawing a foul in, which that was was pretty decent. Harness stepped up for the free kick. He's not quite Rico Hackett, is he? When he hits it, he, he drills it straight in, into the wall, puts his hand up almost instantaneously as a sort of a little apology to all the players that had gone forward for whatever reason. And then the ball sort of bounces through, doesn't it? I don't know if it was, was it Carter or I can't remember who it was. He played the ball through. It was Joe, Joe Morrell, the, the little yeah. dink to uh, O'Brien yeah. at the left side. Yeah. And then, I mean, I don't really know. Is that offside? Do we think that goal's offside? I, I sort of feel like it was offside, but I'm, I've seen completely different opinions depending on whether you think he was active in play in that period or, you know, that, that phase of play, I suppose you say. Well, that's the big question, isn't it? It's whether or not he's interfering or whether or not he's active. For me, that Bolton defender is going to be clearing that ball or trying to clear that ball, whether O'Brien is behind him or not. So for me, I wouldn't say that O'Brien's really interfering in play there in the first instance. He's not right on the defender's shoulder hassling him. He's not putting a challenge in. I wouldn't say he's interfering. And then as soon as it hits the Bolton player, it moves on to the next phase, right? So yeah, undoubtedly he was in an offside position when the ball from Morel came in. And I kind of stopped paying attention when, not stopped paying attention, but switched off slightly from watching the, that that process or that part of the uh, the move because I just assumed it was going to be given as offside and the free kick given. And I think sometimes they go with you, sometimes they go against you. But I think by the letter of the law, that isn't offside. And fair play to the linesman for not doing the easy thing because it would be very easy just to put your flag up and say, yeah, Aidan O'Brien is now on the ball. He was in an offside position. Ergo, I'm going to put my flag up. Whereas he didn't do that and he actually waited to see what the outcome of the move was. And yeah, I mean, when the ball gets played back in, I think we've got at least two players on and possibly three. Raggett's offside as well and um, possibly Hurst as well, I think. But as soon as it comes off that Bolton player... It resets the phase of play as far as I know, and therefore it isn't offside. Harness then gets the ball, doesn't he? Moves it forward, gets to the byline, uses his pace and plays it back nicely. He's got good awareness, Marcus Harness. It's an easy pass for him, actually, knowing where Aidan O'Brien is there, just to pull it back. Pulls it back. Aidan O'Brien does what I think a lot of strikers should do and haven't done for us at the start of the season. John Marquis, for instance, and he, make, he takes that chance. He gets himself into the position to be passed to, to score. And that's one thing I've been really impressed with Aiden O'Brien, whether it was his first goal when he sort of threw himself 
oh, I can't remember the game off the top of my head, but you know, when he threw himself at, at the ball and, and he scored there, and he sort of gets himself in front of defenders, which enables him to be in a place to score, gets the goal, great celebration in front of the Pompey fans. It's 1-0. Do we think at this stage of the game that Pompey are going to be able to see it out? We sort of slow the game down, and I sort of feel that should we have gone for a second goal maybe and maybe pushed it on, or do you think we played the right way from there? Uh, I, I think I think they could have held on to it. You were talking about O'Brien earlier, and I, and I don't think it's it was not just his positional play that was good for that goal. It's his form. The form of the strike was excellent. There was no... I didn't, as soon as he set up that way with his side foot, I didn't think there'd be any doubt that it would be a decent shot on goal, whereas with some some of Poppy's strikers, that hasn't been the case previously. And yeah, just like that gate, debut goal against Doncaster, the 4-0 where he got into, into that space and battled through those defenders. That was great. And side, side note, I also enjoyed Marcus Harness using both of his feet in the play beforehand. I thought that was I thought that was an excellent bit of approach play on that left side. And afterwards, really, I, I, I thought Pompey could have. They, they, they looked, for me anyway, slightly more dangerous in the final third and, and were fairly comfortable in field. They lost the ball a few times. But I think, I think with that general pattern of play, they wanted to play on the counter-attack. I think that was pretty obvious. There was something in the first, there was no play in the first half where O'Brien wins the ball on the halfway line uh, when a bottom midfielder gives it away. And, and Danny Carey likes his Pompey midfield to spring, don't they? They, they like getting those three on twos. And I think that's what Danny Carey tried to make in those scenarios. <laughs> if he thinks that's what the strength of the team is, then fine. Um, the penalty was unfortunate, though. It was a shame, even though Kachunga threw himself to the floor as if he was Tom Daly. There was enough contact there, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I got to agree. I actually did think that it was going to be one of those situations where I didn't really see them scoring in open play when that came down. I don't think Hayden Carter really sees him. I think Andy Moon mentioned it on the commentary and he just sort of comes across him when he's sort of there and he ends up, you know, making contact. And I've got to say, it's a penalty. It just is a penalty. It's unlucky, really unlucky, uh, which is really... a. It's also unlucky because Hayden Carter, I thought, played a really good game as well. Could have set another goal up when he sort of comes in from the right-hand side. He dribbles it past quite a few little players, keeps going. And you think he just sort of like gets into the box, plays the shot in, it comes back out again. And then Michael Jacobs does a shot. And you've got to say, it was hard to see in real time, wasn't it? And let's be honest, the I follow camera angles are never conclusive, are they? But... There's a lot of shouts there for handball when the when the Bolton guy goes down there. If it hits his arm, is that a penalty, Andy Mitchmore? I genuinely don't even know what the rule is anymore on whether it's got to be in an unnatural position or or what the rules are now. My first instinct was genuinely no penalty. Um, I've not actually watched it back. I've not watched the highlights. So my first instinct watching it live was that it would have been harsh to give it for me. But uh, I... I'm not claiming that as gospel. That's not having watched it with any. Yeah, I might watch it now. I might load up the highlights on YouTube and have a look. To be honest, <laughs> from watching that, from watching it before the show, I thought it would have been harsh to give the penalty there because I thought Jacobs was slightly too close to the defender. Even though he, the defender did the classic thing of throwing himself at it, which you know, he, you know, and that's it, what you do as a defender. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, but that's what that's where a lot of handball penalties come from when when a defender just throws himself at a ball depending on who the referee is and what their tolerance is, they sometimes give it, don't they? But 
I don't think it's it was like a referee mistake or anything. I think yeah, I've just, just I've just pushed it back there. I don't think that's a penalty. I, I really I think, don't. I think if you throw yourself at it out of control, though, like he's done as a defender, he's just thrown his whole body out of control. His arms in an unnatural position in the air, and it potentially stops the ball going into the back of the net. So I don't. I don't think his arms in an unnatural position. You can't make your arms disappear. I'm sure people are going to disagree with me quite strongly and I'll get some grief for it. This is why I can't be bothered to argue about handball. There's too much semantics. I hate it. I mean, it, it definitely hits his hand, 100%. I've literally got the frame frozen on it, hitting his hand. Absolutely no doubt it hits his hand. But my understanding of the rule is it's something to do with an unnatural position of the hand. He can't make his arm disappear. Obviously, you can't. We got to that stage where, you know, defenders were trying to close down players and they had their sort of hands almost in their back pockets around behind them like they were speed skating and it looks absolutely ridiculous and that isn't what football is and he's the defender's thrown himself to try and block Jacob's shot here he's kind of twisted his body as he's done it he's led with both of his legs to try and get the block in he's not even looking in the same direction when the ball was hit him I know that's not really the deciding factor but I'd love to say, yeah, it's it's a hundred percent stonewall penalty. Pompey have been robbed, but I, I think you're sometimes going to get those. You're sometimes not. This time we didn't. That they're even out. I know that's really cliche, but um, yeah, I don't. I don't think we've got that much to complain about there. Really, it would be nice to have got it, obviously, but it's not a sort of a stonewall disgusting decision that we should be outraged about for me. Fair enough. Some people say no, some people say yes. But yeah, it was a tough one to give, I suppose, to the referee. I did think Pompey passed the ball around well, as Andy already said earlier on in the podcast. I won't dwell on that. The movement was good. The play was good. Could have come away with the 1-0 win. Would have been nice. We did score a goal, though, boys. Not just a shot at target. We actually got a goal. Nice. Take that into the next game. Maybe we can get a result. But And before we finish the Bolton bit, shout out to my friend Joe Simmons, the only Australian Bolton fan. I believe in the world. Although hit me up, Pompey in Canberra, if that's not true, and you know somebody who's also Australian and a Bolton fan. And let's give you a tenner earlier on in the year. But, you know, that's where we go. We'll talk about Cheltenham game in a bit, but let's just move us on to some of the news we're going to talk about. So let's just turn our focus to the academy. Boys, I did listen back to the podcast, which you guys did last week. I know Andy never listens to it if he's not on it, but, you know, that's how it goes. Barely listen to it full stop, mate. Once is enough. <laughs> Such a promotion. I love that. But yeah, no, I actually did listen to it. Um, and and I thought you guys touched on some of the academy stuff. So I thought it'd be good to build off that. Obviously, Dan Glyph has done pretty well at Bogner. He's got a pretty good goal scoring record there. He's been good this season for them and definitely deserves an extension. Gets the contract extension. So he's going to be a third year scholar, which is obviously great for Dan as well. Whether he stays around the first team or gets loaned out again, I probably assume that's what will happen. Um, with a third-year scholar, but obviously he'll have the opportunity not to, sorry, the opportunity to to make an impact to the first team. All the other players at the moment, some of them have had offers, some of them haven't. I've heard about a couple of players who have had offers, quite a few that haven't. There's, there's still some uh, talk out there of who will accept, who won't accept, um, and what will go on going forward. There is a little bit of contract dispute. Can't go into loads of details, but there is a few disputes with certain players and whether they're going to accept those or not. Uh, and also... We'll touch on the first team contracts later on. But boys, just to talk about the academy at this moment in time, there are going to be quite a few players that get released again. All right. So, you know, I don't want to talk about specific names until it comes public, mainly because it's academy players. And these are young players who don't really need to have that out in the public right now. But there are quite a few players who are not going to be offered contracts. How do we feel about this academy crop? And do, do we feel that 
if Pompey don't take on a certain amount of these players, it's, it's a bit of a failure or do we feel that we are working to develop players well? It's not whether or not they take on the academy players that makes it a success or a failure. It's not that decision that decides, yeah, whether it's a success or not. It's the groundwork that's been put into the players and whether they are good enough to deserve a contract that decides whether or not the system is a success or it's a failure or not. I I don't think we can judge what's happening at the academy purely based off the number of offers they hand out. I think it's more about the process and whether or not the players are deserving of offers, if that makes sense. And it's going to be much easier to say that with any certainty, with a bit of hindsight, when you look at what happens to the players after they've been released. And it always tends to happen, doesn't it, when a crop gets released, is that you get normally in, in the news for about three or four weeks afterwards, you get a sort of released Pompey youth player on trial with insert championship club here or insert lower half of Premier League club here like West Ham or something and everyone goes oh we shouldn't have let them go it's outrageous and then it tends to go a little bit quieter when they don't actually get picked up so I think the proof's going to be in the pudding to point a very weird phrase that I don't really know what it means but it is definitely a phrase we're not going to know until afterwards whether or not the decisions are right because as you say Hugh it sounds like it's going to be a fairly fairly brutal cut again and it's, you, you need to find that middle ground, don't you? I mean, if just keeping players on for the sake of it who aren't going to make it is also a very, very bad academy decision. I think it's important we note that. But similarly, bringing through crops every year and then culling the vast majority. And last year, I can't remember which player it was that decided not to stay on and made their own decision to leave. And I can't remember who it was. I don't know if you can. But it was one definitely one of the players who was offered a longer contract said, no, I don't want to stay here. Thank you. And I don't, can't remember his name either. That's not I think it was Alfie Stanley, wasn't it? Was it Alfie Stanley? I, I think remember. so. Doc, wasn't it? Joe Lee's a midfielder for Gosport now, I believe. Oh, you were there the other week, Fred. You yeah, I saw, I, I saw him. He came on for about. He only came on for about ten minutes. Okay, but I mean, that's, uh, that's, for me, that's the yeah. deciding factor: is whether or not the decisions are correct or not. Mm. Yeah, mm. I, I think you can say that, but I think at the certain level, we have to look at. And this is not a year-to-year basis, Annie. I do agree. You can't say, hey, we have not taken on a load of players. We've not you know, taken them all on. Therefore, it's a, it's a failure. However, the club's got to have the right structure and the right processes and coaching to develop those players. Oh, yeah, if completely you, agree. Yeah. If, you, yeah, if year after year we're seeing the same thing, then there is a problem. Because if you're not developing players that are the right quality enough to be able to bring into the first team squad, at some point you have to go, why? And for me, that's maybe the issue um, more on the development side. And as we come on later on to talk about the new strategy potentially of recruiting younger players and developing them into players going forward, then you have to think, do we have the right infrastructure in place, the right coaching in order to make those players a success? And that has to be really something that if you want to go for that strategy, you have to be able to develop young players through the academy as well and be able to make them into good players. So, yes, I agree. You don't want to just sign, sign people for the sake of it. That's pointless completely if they're not good enough. But the right processes have to be there to show that this academy can produce players that are going to be a success. Yeah, 100% agree on that. In that, If we're not picking up players because the players aren't good enough half the time at the academy, then yes, that is an absolutely massive issue. And we're going to talk about, I think, fairly shortly, the the club strategy of potentially moving towards picking up younger players rather than 
more experienced players for the first team squad. And if we haven't got the resources or the the track record of turning our own young players into successful professionals, that's one of my concerns with moving down the avenue of bringing in young players from other clubs and trying to turn them into good League One and Championship professionals. Because if we can't do it with our own youth intake, why would we suddenly be able to do it with youth intake from from other clubs? That would be that's my concern. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with anything you just said there, but do you think the just the the big focus on sending the youngsters out on loan, no matter who they are, is the issue? Because it seems to be a one size fits all strategy, doesn't it? Because we've heard it all the time. Every single youngster has to play men's football. And I do agree the vast majority of them should do. And it's proven that at some point youngsters of what age, when they are ready, they should play men's football. Even, even if it's just a brief amount of games, they will improve drastically if, it, if they've got the right mentality for it. But do you think it's a situation where a lot of kids are just thrown, thrown into men's football early and at too low of a level to improve? Do you think that could be an issue? Yeah, to a certain level. I, do. I think it's the same as at any level. Let's look at Blackburn. I mean, this is a ad hoc, off-the-cuff example. You know, we look at Hayden Carter, who's, you know, potentially getting some interest according to whatever it's called, the Lancaster, no, the Lancashire Times, whatever it is up in Blackburn that those people read, saying that Hayden Carter is going to have a lot of interest from other clubs as well as us, maybe not being able to retain him if we're not going to get promoted. Now, Carter's come on loan and played for us because he needs to get first-team football. That's undoubtedly going to help him develop because he's at a level where he can play, he's doing well. And we've seen for us, he's been very good. That might mean next season, if Blackburn don't get promoted, he he is better placed in their squad to come back and make more of an impact. So yeah, that's good. Same goes for us when we loan players out to, to lower league teams. Although Hadji Minoga, for instance, would be an example of a player who I would like to see play in a suitable situation Hopefully next season, you, you want him to try and play, if possible, play in something like League Two, where he's got that sort of structure and setup, which enables him to be, you know, a decent player. So you do need that. But at the same time, Blackburn are still developing their own players through. They still have their own academy and develop players that way as well. Everyone knows who listens to this podcast. My opinion is you need to have an under-23s team and set up with a decent amount of players where you can then loan players from that team to men's football. It doesn't have to be season-long loans. You can loan them on short-term loans. You can loan them for so many months. You can do whatever. But it's as Freddie said, it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. It just depends on the player. And everyone develops differently. And the club have to have different types of setups for different players. Um, should we move it on from here? And let's talk about the question that you guys put out, because it sort of links in well here. So it makes me feel great as a podcaster, just, just segueing it up here. So just massaging my own ego, you know, whatever. Let's just get into it. Thanks everyone for messaging in. It's really appreciated. Um, and we asked you guys today, will Pompey's transfer policy change to recruiting younger players work? Cowley's Cows matches in and he says, have to be hot finding gems and don't think the setup's there yet or willing to spend a decent amount of money knowing the return, like Carter, for instance, could be as quick as the fans want. Long term, I think it's a good thing, but unsure if the fans are willing to give it the time needed to benefit the club and the academy intake. Seems to be linking up thinking. So, boys, do we think that Pompey have the patience as a fan base, as Cowley Cow said, messaged in to say, in order for this to work, and do the club have the resources, or are they willing to put the money in to make this a success? Well, considering no, no, no. that they've talked about it enough, I think they should do. And if you look at January, 
I always worry, uh, even though some people are looking at some of the signings in January and thinking oh, that some of them were underwhelming, some of them were good. There was a feeling there that, uh, that the needs were bad. They brought in Denver Hume for, uh, for, for a small transfer fee. The right side, the centre-half came in on loan and so did the striker. Ada O'Brien on the free as well. Fine. And there's been enough voices from the club, from Cullen and Eisner, that I do think this, uh, for, 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 take, if you take their words as, as as written, that they are going to actually go into this system properly with two feet rather than just half arsing it, which is good. The problem is, like we've mentioned so many times, and like what Caldis Cow said, with the club's aim of being promotion every single season, those young players have to be ready to at least be squad players in this side already uh it's 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 not a case of simply picking young players with massively high ceilings because if they're not ready for now then what's the point you're then basically just saying oh i'll have them for a few years if they're not good enough and if the squad's not good enough in the short term we'll just we'll just sell them by the time they get they reach that plateau of being first team regulars and that is a concern for me and it does also concern me that a lot of the academy youngsters have not developed a first team level yet as well, which is a bit of a shame. So it, it it's more than just a transfer strategy. It's like a it's like a philosophy of the football club that's going to have to change here. here focusing on development while keeping that balance of are these players actually good enough? Because for every every Ronan Curtis you get, for example, because I think that's a decent example of plucking a gem from the Irish League and and stepping up fairly well in his first season and being a solid above average league one player for every Ronan Curtis you get, you get a Bryn Morris. So it's going to be very, they're going to have to have, there's going to, that's going to be the bit that's going to get fans a bit frustrated. It's going to be, it, it will be hit and miss. I think as much as, as hit and miss as bringing in loads of free agents, like Howley mentioned in the article, he said players are players are free agents for a reason. And it doesn't matter if they're young. It doesn't matter if they're old. They're there because their club doesn't want them for whatever reason. So there's going to be risk there for sure. And I also think there needs to be more focus on, well, I am going to say this, <laughs> more focus on analytics to try and find those gems. It, it can work. We've seen it work with other clubs. Peterborough, Brentford, Accrington seem to pluck out youngsters fairly well for their level as well. So yeah, it's a strategy that can work, but, but it has to be, it has to be utilised properly. And there has to be enough investment alongside it as well. John English meshes in. He says, it's good to get young players in if you can sell them on. But we haven't sold players for a lot of money since Lowe and Clark left. Pompey need to get a good negotiator. With the third transfer window coming up, do you lads think Cowleys can pull it off? And what if they don't? It's got a fair point that we don't seem to sign the players that we have on contracts in order to sell them on. It'll be interesting to see if we do manage to retain talent this season, players that we do have on contract, first team players even, the likes of Harness, Raggett, etc. Or whether we manage to let them go again for free in the summer, like before, like Watmore, like Naylor, like whoever you want to mention. But it's not just about selling and developing players in that way. It's about developing players into useful players who can be foundations for this team going forward and have the potential even to play in the championship or higher. So Andy Mitchell, do you think, as John English said, that 
we have the ability to pull this off in the third transfer window, this all-important third transfer window, which Eric Eisner's highlighted as the one with the pushes forward. Oh, and if we don't pull it off, then what? Firstly, yeah, I've seen nothing from the Cowleys that makes me suggest, they, suggest that they won't pull it off. I think their transfer activity has been pretty spot on so far. Obviously, a couple of exceptions to that that haven't quite worked out, but not every, whatever the saying is, well, not every something turns to gold. Can't think of what the expression is. But ratio-wise of successes to failures, I would say their ratio is a lot better than Kenny Jackett's was in terms of really having impact players. You know, there were a number of players who came in under Jacket and did all right, you know, sort of like Byers, uh, White, that sort of player that came in and did okay. But a lot more of the Cowley's acquisitions, you'd say, have been the standout players this season, like Carter, like Bazunu, like George Hurst. They've been a bit more standout. So I've got no reason to doubt that they will do that. And if you look at the permanent contracts they have offered, they've clearly been on players that they are dead set and confident on, case in point, Joe Morrell, where they have no doubt that that player is going to benefit the side moving forward. And yeah, in terms of keeping the current first team players, well, we'll see what happens with uh, with Raggett and with Harness, etc. That's going to be entirely dependent on the contract that is offered to them in terms of what, what it's given to them as a, as a potential deal. But... With the constraints that the Cowleys are given by the owners, whatever those constraints may be, they will make the best of those constraints. I've got no doubt of that in the slightest. I think, you know, people, different fans are going to rate the Cowleys to a different degree. I completely rate them. And I think the transfer market, either way, whether you rate them as coaches or not, the transfer market is somewhere where they've proven themselves to be extremely competent and I'd say they've proven themselves elsewhere as well. Sydney Wise measures in and he says it certainly has the potential to work well though younger players often come with a higher price tag so the question is are we willing to pay more for promising players? Well Sydney that is a that is a golden question let's be honest. I was going to say probably not Hugh to be honest with you but that's just a slightly cynical side of me. I We've had the whole focusing on the younger player viewpoint. Of the five squads in the league who have got the youngest average age this season, of those five squads, three of them are in the relegation zone. That's Wimbledon, Doncaster and Crewe. And the other two in the top five are Lincoln City and MK. So obviously can work. MK are quite a scary team to play against now, I think. I mean, yeah, looking at, looking at the squads in League One, in terms of the average age of player, you've got near the bottom of that, Wimbledon, Donny, Crew Alex, Fleetwood, Accrington, Stanley and Burton. They're all in the top seven or top eight. It's not a guaranteed success model. The teams that are consistently nearer the top are in the middle to older bracket. That's where you've got Rotherham. That's where you've got Wednesday. That's where you've got Wigan, who are one of the most or the highest average age in the league. Oxford are similar or Oxford are the same as Pompey, an average age of 25.9. When you start getting down into that low 24s and into the 23s, it's again high risk, high reward. But if you don't get it right, you go down. Basically, that's what it looks like. You either really succeed, like MK or actually like Sunderland, who have got quite a young squad, or are all forced to pieces like it has done for Wimbledon, where they've not been able to turn around a really awful run. That's what, 23 games 
without a win now after their draw against Charlton. Partially, that's because, you know, they're not an experienced enough side to be able to turn around a bad run in form. It's exactly the same as it was with us when we had 23 games without a win or whatever it was back in, what, 2012-ish. And the team was just so young, they didn't know how to turn that slide around. And I mean, that average age of 23.1 for AFC Wimbledon, that includes Lee Brown. I mean, bloody hell. That's easy. He's putting the average up a bit, isn't he? So even with him involved, they're still the youngest by a distance. So it is high risk, but it's high reward. It's, yeah, I don't know. I think you need the right blend. I've always gone for an approach of having a right blend of young players and a bit of experience to help them out as well. Some of the some of the clubs mentioned as well that are near the bottom, they are there for a reason where financially they're struggling. So they're throwing in youngsters when they aren't even ready and they don't have much of a choice. Pompey have, probably have the luxury of having a choice this time. So maybe so maybe that will make it a bit uh, make it a bit different as well. And I do think Danny Cowley tactically, with the philosophy of playing attractive football and in multiple formations. I do think that suits younger players as well. So that's another bonus that that Pompey have. Uh, I, I, I do think Cowley will get that blend right. I don't, he, he, he's never come across as a manager who will buy a player for the sake of it, whereas Kenny Jacket sometimes did. He, good player or bad player, sometimes he bought a player just to fill a position. We've seen that often before. Cowley says, right, is that player... Good for me in that role, in that form, in these formations. Yes, we sign him if we can. No, then we don't bother. So I do think, yeah, like you said, um, I, I prefer a blend of permanent players who can develop in this side and not to not overly rely on loan players, which was something that one listener mentioned as well. Nine Years Podcast messages in. These are our friends of the AFC Wimbledon podcast. Me and Andy did some stuff for when we were at AFC Wimbledon. They messaged in and said, possibly, but don't fill your starting 11 with them, which I think is really pays tribute to what you guys both said. You need a blend of the two. Unless your experienced players like MK Dons are going to be the likes of Scott Twine, who's 22. And you got those star players who are young as well. Most teams in this league won't have 22-year-old stars who are absolutely incredible and lead the teams in goals and assists in the league. So I think you do need a blend. And if you want to go out and get Scott Twine, you have to pay decent wages to get him. So the one thing that I thought was quite confusing, Fred, was in that article, they spoke about non-league and they spoke about finding players from you know, for gems and all of this kind of stuff as well, which involves you taking a punt on players, but still paying transfer fees or compensation to players, to, to clubs as well, who have developed these players. There wasn't really a mention of purchasing players um, who are younger as well, who are maybe more established. So it's, to me, that does sound a little bit like playing the, playing the roulette lottery of sort of trying to find cheap players that turn out to be good. And Alfie John messages in and says, the strategy all depends on how much the Isers are willing to invest. If they invest an acceptable amount, it should work. If they don't, it probably won't. If they don't put very much money into it, limit Cowley's transfer fund, and you know you have a set amount which is not very high, he has to dig around the bottom of of the uh, of non-league and ends up you know taking a punt on some players. Maybe some of them will work because I rate his scouting ability. But it's also quite likely then that some of those players don't turn out at all. And unless you go out and buy players who are have more obvious upside or have already done it before, or you blend those two sort of players together, it could be a really, really risky strategy, in my opinion. 
It could be. It could be. And there's just a, as much risk involved in that than sort of the approach that Danny Cowley went with in his first summer, where he focused largely on free agents and bringing in but the uh, you you call them the long term pieces of this team for a transfer fee. Morel being the long term piece, somebody like Clark Robertson, Sean Williams, Kieran Freeman of that ilk, who had the experience. Their value had plummeted for various reasons, but they were still good players, and Cowley still thought they were good players in there. So bring them on a free. Um, I think Cowley mentioned in an article that uh, that there was undervalued players in. The Football League specifically, that was another article mentioned a while back, talking about League Two. And he has been to a fair amount of League Two games already, seen in the stands, scouting players recently at Northampton. He was also at a Bristol Rovers versus Bradford City game recently, as well as in England under 20 international against Germany. Again, it, 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 like, like the listener said, it does come back to the crux of the argument. Is there going to be enough money for the transfer fees and the wages? Because some young players who are going to be hidden, there'll be more risk involved rather than, let's say, a young player who's played two full seasons in League Two is a star player for one of those sides and looks as if it could be a long-term building block. That's that's where the difference is going to be, isn't it? And you're, you're only going to know those differences with proper scouting and use of football analytics to get that little bit extra knowledge out there. And video scouting actually going to the games. Etc. Yeah, there's a difference between trying to pick up someone like Matt Jay than there is trying to pick up someone in, in the National League or National League South who is who is bombing it in there as well. And both can work, but I think you've got to get a blend of the two together. Uh, Jazz messes in and he says, Hi chaps, my worry is the lone players. We really need to start making a team of our own players and not having to replace the five or six going back each season. Boys, I think I agree with this. Andy Mitchamore building a team around loan players or supplementing your team with loan players to build squad depth? Ideally, what you want to be doing is having that spine of the team that is experienced and on a permanent deal. And then you're consistently bringing in higher level loan players into League One. And then each season, you gradually improve that that spine of the team that is on permanent deals. You're gradually working on it to try and increase that level. And eventually, that combination of high level spine plus you know, decent level loan players gives you the recipe for success. But I wasn't able to find the numbers for the, the squads in the league that have got the most or least loan players in. I think it's a maximum of eight you can have in a squad and then five match day squad, I think. And I mean, Pompey are going to be around that ballpark. I think we maxed out on loan players last transfer window, potentially. I think that rings a bell. I seem to remember us being limited, but you know we can't bring any more loan players in at one point. Yeah, so I think we max out on those. I I do agree with uh, with what Jas says or Jace says, a bit short for Jason. Not sure. Um, four Ukrainian flags, good work. Ideally, you do want a team of your own players, but let's be honest: in League One, a team purely of League One standard players isn't probably going to get promotion. You need to have those the occasional star player easily said, coming in on loan to make a difference. Because let's face it, Gavin Bazunu isn't a League One goalkeeper. He's not. And he's made a difference. And it's obvious that he's made a difference. And what we need is, and it's again, much easier said than done. An example is Joe Morrell, where he's not, for me, a League One midfielder. And we've got him on a permanent deal. And that's sick. 
And if we, if the Cowleys can bring in two more players of that ilk, to use Fred's really quite cool phrase, that ilk, that's a huge improvement. If you've got three players in your team who are above League One standard on permanent deals, and then you can bring in maybe two or three other players who are above League One standard on loan deals, such as Gavin Bazzuni, and then you've got another four players in the team or five players in the team who are at League One standard and solid enough League One players, then you're going to be pushing minimum for playoffs. So, yes, it's the constant balance, isn't it? And the problem with the turnover that got mentioned there is that you never really settle into a rhythm when four or five players in the squad are just rotating you know, back to their parent clubs and then another four or five loan players coming. You never get that, any momentum. You never get that consistency within the squad. So yeah, in an ideal world, you wouldn't rely on known players, but unfortunately, that's not quite how it works. If if you want to bring in higher-level players to play in League One, they've got to come down temporarily from a higher league to get match experience, the same way that we send off players into, you know, to play Bogner or to play at Gosport, for example, to get some experience more often, you know, Bogner or haven't to get match day experience. It's just the it's the football food chain, isn't it, really? Andy's spot on, and I'll add a couple of extra things. Um, the, fir- the first thing is, it, 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 why are you developing other clubs' players when you could just develop your own and have a transfer strategy, which sounds like they're going forward? And again, I like the fact that the loan market is useful and it can supplement your side and use it to sort of tip the team over the edge from like a, a, a playoff hopeful to maybe a playoff-seeking like team. You mentioned Gavin Bazunu. He's not a League One goalkeeper. Hayden Carter is not a League One centre half. He's a champ- I could see him being in most championship sides next season quite quite easily. If you can supplement your side that way, or even think, oh, there's a young kid who, who can fill in a, in a depth role like Harvey White, who, who would come in and fit in that way, then fine. That's what the loan market is useful for. But what I don't like is when a club football club maxes out on the loan market every single season. The majority of their starting eleven is those loan players, because, like Andy said, by the end of the season they all go back. Are you likely to sign any of them? Not really, probably. And then if you don't sign them, you, you, you got you, you're back on the merry-go-round again, and it's frustrating. And also, the only thing, other thing I'd like to add, from a purely emotional point of view, it's Portsmouth Football Club and League One. They shouldn't be relying on lo- over relying on loan players for their side. It just shouldn't be a thing. Portsmouth City FC boys, we don't need loans. We don't need anyone from outside Portsmouth. Uh, Fred, what I was going to ask you mentioned there about loans not turning into permanent signings. You have a much better memory of for this than me because, I mean, COVID has wrecked my short term memory. But when was the last time we turned a loan signing into a permanent deal? Can you think of anyone off the top of your head that if, we? If it is Sean Raggett, then. Oh, sure, yeah. a big good. one uh, yeah, he was, he was signed because he initially came in on loan from Norwich yep, and good then job. K-Jacket signed him in the summer I genuinely don't think there's been another one since off the top of my head it's pretty infrequent isn't it yeah exactly and, and also how often do they come back for another year because obviously there was that trend of two year loans for a bit but that's not that's not a football league trend that doesn't happen either so what uh, again, it, didn't know that was a thing. Tyler Walker, watch this space, boys. What, two year loan. <laughs> it's permanent, mate. Permanent. That's what I'm saying. 
All right, let's move this along. Let's move this along. George sent us a voice clip last week, and I didn't send you the email, Addy, to actually play it on the podcast when you were hosting Andy. So apologies, George, but I'm now going to play it. Now, boys, you're going to be listening to it with me holding my phone up to the microphone because I haven't sent it to you. But George, I'm guessing this quality is going to sound great to you now, mate, because I'm going to edit it out in the editing process and put your actual audio file into this. So, boys, this is George's question from last week. Hello, lads. It's uh, George Slatch here from Twitter. It's quite funny because Hugh Bunce always gets my last name wrong. It's uh, Slatcher, not Slater, which I find hilarious, to be fair. But a quick question for you boys and the Portsmouth fans. Do you think if the Eisners don't show a significant investment in the playing squad early in the transfer window with a flurry of transfers into the Pompey squad that um, Portsmouth fans would just get put off by buying match day tickets and season tickets next season because of the lack of investment the lack of ambition and the lack and the sheer lack of just not showing any interest in getting this football club out of this dire league one um i for one would be absolutely furious if that doesn't happen because they are saying time and time again they want to get out of this division and they want to get us to the championship which I am just completely not seeing at all. I'm not seeing the ambition. I'm not seeing that they want to get us out of this division. All I'm seeing is a few bolts and screws around the stadium and an, and a new training ground, which I think, in my opinion, is not good enough. We need we need heavy investment in this playing squad. We are nowhere near the top six for budget-wise. We just can't compete with the top teams. And I think if we do not if we do not see heavy investment and a flurry of transfers in the in the summer transfer window, then I just think Pompey fans, me included, are just going to be put off by next season and I'm not, I will not buy match tickets as easy tickets. Thanks, boys. I'd like to, I'm looking forward to, seeing, to hearing what you guys think. Thanks, George. Appreciate the, the voice message in, trying something new. Boys, do we think people are going to be put off buying season tickets and match tickets if there is not investment into the squad? I have seen people on Twitter even today saying that they are potentially not going to take up the early bird offer for renewing their season tickets until they see what happens in the summer. Do you think George has got a good point there? I think so. I think if you look at even the trend for the last couple of years, obviously there is going to be a COVID factor in here as well. This isn't me just saying this is purely down to fan engagement with the club, but pre-COVID 2019-2020 season, average attendance at Fratton Park was 17,800. Obviously, COVID season, average attendance was 2,000 because that was the limit. But then if you look at this season, average home attendance at Fratton is 15,000, pretty much on the nose. So there is a 2,500 drop-off. And it's not purely going to be because of footballing reasons, because you know there are there's been stadium developments going on and there have been people who are reluctant to come back because of COVID, which is totally understandable for some people. But I think this season coming up will tell us or not whether that was an anomaly or whether it was a trend. And I don't know if it's even just what George mentioned there about new players coming in early in the window. I don't think I'm going to need that information. I think I'm going to be able to see whether there's a trend in terms of how we offer the current players deals. And we know what happened with a number of players who have now left Pompey who were offered fairly substantial pay cuts as a reward for their hard work 
like Jack Watmore, like Tom Naylor, and decided unsurprisingly not to accept a pay cut and then went to another club for you know a better wage and are now succeeding. If that happens to the players who are out of contract this summer, such as Sean Raggett, such as Marcus Harness, which may be the case, then that will go a long way to answering the question for me, no matter you know how quickly they act on bringing other players in. Because I think it's... It's not just about them, you know, getting new blood into the club. It's how you treat the blood you've already got. It's kind of like, you know, mobile phone contracts and stuff. It's not just about getting new customers through the door and offering them a great deal. It's about how you treat the customers you've already got and your loyal customers. And I kind of feel like that with our squad, that I'm, I'm concerned that there is going to be a slight track record occurring of players being offered deals, like renewal deals, that... Uh, don't match their current deal. And then it's just released as a statement as our player name was offered a new contract and has rejected the deal and will be leaving to go to Wigan or Rotherham or, you know, one of those new, uh, newly promoted championship teams from League One this season. And I think that's a possibility. But I think this is kind of a, a bit of a, a crunch summer for me personally. This is purely my personal opinion. I'm very and have been very pro Eisner throughout I haven't at any point bad-mouthed or had any issue with them and I'm entirely supportive of them and I think they've done generally positive things for the club as was demonstrated by you know some of the figures that came out in that the statement last week to do with the increases in wages that Kenny Jack had. He had sort of 1.2 million extra in the space of 12 months that was being spent on wages, for example. So you can't deny that they haven't put money into that aspect. But I think this transfer window is a big one because as far as I see, this is, you know, this is the third transfer window of a, a project with the Cowleys that, you know, we said they've got three transfer windows to make their vision start coming together. And this is supposedly the start of a, a new positive era at Pompey with the Cowleys. And I firmly believe it can be that. I think they're the right people to lead that forward for years to come. This is where they either get backed or they don't. And, if they aren't backed to keep our key players, such as Sean Raggett, and if they're not backed to bring in the players they want, if they are given really, really heavy constraints, that'll be a warning sign for me. And honestly, I'm probably going to renew my season ticket either way because I have that blind loyalty, which I'm not claiming is a good thing. And maybe it would be a better thing if I didn't have that. I probably will just renew my season ticket. But I know one of my friends isn't, who I normally sit with. He's not renewing it after how I think he's had it for eight or nine years. It's, yeah, I'll be interested to see next year. I think COVID has interrupted things in terms of us looking for trends. After this summer, we'll know whether this season was an anomaly or whether the club's actually moving in a bit of a worrying direction, fan engagement-wise, ticket sales-wise, and player contract-wise. I think the, the thing that will create fan apathy the most is a lack of direction. And that lack of direction will be shown if Cowley is not backed in the summer. That's going to be the big thing. Because again, it relates to, oh, well, we want promotion. That's the aim for the football club we keep on hearing. And probably that's one of the reasons why they are keeping some of their better players and not extending them. Because they think, oh, what if the team goes on a run and get promoted? Then we'll be fine. If we if we sell them when they have one year left, then the side will be worse. And then that doesn't fit what we want with promotion. Uh, I saw some people, I think, defending the owners too much from looking at last year's accounts. Uh, I think 
there were some positives in there. And I think Kieran Maguire, um, football, finance, but, uh, f- football finance expert, said that Pompey's budget was up there for that season in the upper echelon of League One. I think somewhere between seven, sixth or eighth off the top of my head, but you can check his yes. Twitter for that. That's a bit um, of an oxymoron there, Fred, the upper echelons of League One. <laughs> I know, I know. But even with that in mind, the landscape has already changed, unfortunately, because you have new money in the league. You have new owners at Ipswich, Bolton and Wigan who are arguably running their clubs unsustainably by offering players wages that arguably they shouldn't be getting. And in certain circumstances, it's understandable that Pompey are looking at the wages of some of the players and going, why on earth would we pay that? But you cannot go into a situation in the summer where you're offering your best players pay cuts and then being surprised that they declined them. And then you're going to have to go through the whole the merry-go-round thing all over again. Oh, we might have to get a replacement for Sean Braggett because we may be offered him less money in this contract. That probably there's no basis for that happening at the moment. But you know, what if it does happen? What if the same thing happens to Marcus Harness? We have no idea. We have no idea. And that will cause fan apathy because I think it's got to the point where I think the majority of the fans back the manager and the tactics on the pitch. But if he's not the given with the resources, then what are we what's the point? It's not gonna it's, you're not gonna achieve the goal of the football club, are you? What you said there that interested me, Fred, was the, the comment on Wigan and them doing it unsustainably. Is that what Wigan are doing? Because they've just come back from a massive financial crisis that put the club in jeopardy. I'd be so surprised if they're doing it irresponsibly again. Well, what I mean by unsustainable from them is a lot of it is backed by their new owners and they are being aggressive with their wages that other clubs simply cannot do. They're paying Charlie, Charlie White 10 grand a week, for God's sake. I mean... How many League One clubs can actually do that? Yeah, so you saying it's based on income, revenue, living within your means, that kind of thing, tickets, gate receipts, Andy, rather than necessarily telling about being unsustainable. They're basically being funded. So the money, when the money dries up, effectively, Roman Abramovich, uh, the club could be in a, in a bad situation as such. I think that's where that's the angle Fred's coming from, but. Let's just move this along. Um, quickly, before I get into the next section, just before we preview the game against Cheltenham, cheers TJ Davey for sending me a Fratton print. It looks absolutely awesome, mate. Uh, he's got an XE store. Check it out. It's T-B-O-M-B-A-D-I-L. Uh, same on Insta as well. So, yeah, cheers to that. Appreciate it. All right, let's move on to the lovely old preview against Cheltenham. Now, Andy Mitchell is going to lead this section. He spoke to one of his contacts who friend or whatever it is who is a Cheltenham fan did ask around to see if there's any Cheltenham podcast if anyone knows one let me know these all seem to be inactive which is odd since they've got promoted and are doing better than they were before but Ayo what am I to say to Cheltenham fans so let's get into it Andy kick us off with the Cheltenham preview and your interview with your Cheltenham contact yeah so a big thanks to Mark uh, who is at mayhem three five seven underscore mark on Twitter, uh, Mark's actually I know him because he's a semi-professional poker player and I play poker against him fairly regularly, and he's an all-round good bloke. So, and also the only Cheltenham fan I have ever come across. So, thank you to Mark for being up for answering a few questions. I unfortunately couldn't make it to do a live recording, but said he was happy to answer any questions about Cheltenham Town Football Club. So, first thing we asked Mark was. This season is Cheltenham's first in League One after winning League Two last year. 
what were expectations going into this season and how has it gone? And he said, it's the third time we've been promoted to this level. And going in, there was a real feeling that we were much better prepared than on the two prior occasions. That being said, there were unexpected issues in the boardroom last summer, with our very popular chairman being ousted and the playing budget being constrained, which impacted recruitment and left the manager very frustrated. Given all that went on, we had two very clear goals for the season. The first was avoid the relegation battle, and the second was achieve our highest ever finish, which is a modest, very modest 17th place in this league. So they're punching above the goals for the season, which is a good starting point. The second thing that we asked was looking at sort of defensive record, because the thing that jumped out when they won League Two last year was a really, really good defensive record. They conceded the second fewest goals in the league in League Two the year they won. But this season, they've conceded the fifth most in the division. I think they've conceded like 71 or something in the division. It's, it's a really high number. Uh, so even though they sit 12th on the table, they've had a five-all draw. They've had a four-all draw. They've conceded five goals in the game three times this season. They've conceded eight in the last two games. They tend to have quite exciting goal-filled matches. So we asked if that was a reflection of a change in style or whether it was just because they were playing against better sides in more open games. And Mark said, this one isn't clear-cut. The sale of the club captain Ben Tozer to Wrexham for 200k in August was definitely a big factor as he organised the defence. Another key factor has been a lot of chopping and changing in defence driven by injuries to Raglan and Boyle. So Boyle has been linked to quite a few championship clubs and briefly to Pompey, but we're not going to get him. Last season, most of the defence were ever present. I think all Cheltenham Town fans would agree it's the one area we need to strengthen this summer because we'd probably be a lot closer to Pompey in the league if we didn't leak so many goals. It looks like Cheltenham are going to finish up this season with sort of a fairly similar place finish to Pompey. It's going to be mid-table, no no real last-ditch push for the playoffs, no real risk of relegation. What's the plan for next year is what we asked Mark. So do they think there's potential there for more or are they focusing on just becoming a regular league one side? And Mark said, this is the million pound question. The chairman and manager say next season is about consolidation. And in truth, the off the field side of the club needs to improve. A new main stand is desperately needed to generate more revenue. We also need more seats and enlarged away capacity with both selling out on a number of occasions. Other match day aspects like stewarding and ticketing leave a lot to be desired for a club at this level. Of course, that said, we look at similar clubs like Wickham, Yeovil, Burton, and they've all had that surprise promotion to the championship. And we think, why can't that be us? Especially with our current management at the helm. So it sounds like it'd be quite a good gig for the Eisners. They're very good at sort of the infrastructure kind of thing. Um, they'd be very well set at Cheltenham. Um, hit, hit, hit Mark up and let's see what, what they can do, right? Yeah, right, exactly. Um, we asked Mark what the Cheltenham perception was of Pompey was this season, if they had any. It was big club, loyal fan base. Why do we never actually have a result? Why do we always draw when we play against each other, apparently? Um, I hadn't noticed that, but it's apparently it's a trend. Um, we asked about transfer, potential transfers over summer. There are rumours of interest in some of your players. Will Boyle is linked with a number of clubs in the Championship, for example. Are you confident that you can retain key players like Boyle and Alfie May, who's their top goalscorer this season? Boyle is out of contract and being heavily linked to Preston and Wednesday. The general feeling is that he'll be off in the summer. Alfie May, on the other hand, is under contract and we're in a healthy financial position. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he moves to either the Championship or a big League One side, 
but it would likely take a seven-figure fee, rip, which would go back into the playing budget and towards that much-desired new stand. QPR, Sunderland and Ipswich are three clubs being linked with Alfie. So hopefully we get a good deal if he does leave. Maybe some of the money also goes into our signing Callum Wright, our loney from Leicester, who is a real fan's favourite here. I don't know why anyone would want to move to either QPR, Sunderland or Ipswich, to be honest with you. I can't think of three many three clubs I'd want to move to less if I was a professional footballer, but you know, each to their own. And then the final two questions were relating to the game this weekend. So asking what formation that we're likely to come up against and who are the danger men. So first of all, we play a 3-5-2 formation. The danger men are Alfie Mayo, Keon Atete, Callum Wright, Will Boyle and Jamie Pollock. Jesus, he's named half the team as danger men. That's not a good sign. Uh, unfortunately, we have a number of injuries, so likely it will be a bit of a patched up side. And Mark said that the area of the pitch where Cheltenham are particularly vulnerable, uh, with our left wing back Ben Williams out, injured, our weak link is there, and a general lack of pace to long balls over the top. So the George Hurst sprint masterclass is going to lead to a number of Pompey goals by the uh, by the sounds of it. But yeah, that's the general Cheltenham preview. It sounds, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if it's a similar game to the Bolton game, where it just a, ends up being a bit of a mid-table just plays itself out. Fairly interesting game. But, you know, nothing's really on the line at this point. You could see at the end of the Bolton game, both sides on the pitch were just gutted at the result and both sides knew that was the end of of a possible playoff push. Like, both teams went down into their haunches on the fo- onto their haunches at the final whistle. And I think that'll lead this into being a bit of a... not a classic, is my, uh, is my prediction there. Alfie May is an interesting one, Andy. Uh, it was quite interesting you brought that up. Um, obviously, didn't didn't do sort of as well when he's at Donny, you know. But at Cheltenham, twenty one goals in the league, second only after Stewart at Sunderland. Freddie, you'll be interested to know that Alfie May, according to his ratio, fourteen point nine one. I'll, I'll leave you to do the analysis on why that is, but it, it does show that they've got a player there who really can take opportunities, I'm guessing, at this level and has really broken out. Wouldn't be surprised at 28 years old having a breakout season to see him make a big move to one of those clubs that was mentioned, to be honest. Um, doesn't look like a player that Pompey would go after under the age bracket, under this new recruitment strategy, but yeah, yeah, I could see that being being a thing and he is definitely a danger person to watch. Fred, what are your takes from the comments there from Mark? Uh, very interesting, actually. He he mentioned the change in sort of defensive record. Then Ben Toza left. Cheltenham have conceded ten goals in the last three games, including that four all against Accrington. So it seems that they've got a pretty wild trend there, considering that they were based so purely on defense on defensive measures in League Two. I think it's going to be a bit of a, a rough game because Cheltenham have, have got some players in there that I, I I like. I do like Callum Wright. He's a, he looks like a very good player, very creative. Um, six goals and eight, eight goals and six assists in all comps, which is very good for a midfielder, I think, um, for a mid-table side, doing fairly well there. I don't think it would be as easy as a lot of people might think without looking into the detail, but I think their defensive record is too weak for Pompey. I think even though Pompey have had problems creating goals, uh, proper goal-scoring chances due to the execution at the the last possible moment, I think they'll manage it. I think they'll manage it in this game. All right. Let's wrap this one up, boys. We spent a lot of time talking about the stuff that people are actually interested in, really, which is the the discussion on what's going on in the future. But 
I want to know, Andy Mitchell, your score prediction for the game against Cheltenham, please, and the goal scorers. Three all draw. I don't think I've ever predicted that before. It's happening. Didn't I just say it was going to be a really boring end of season mid-table game that's a bit boring? Yes. Well, I'm going to directly contradict myself and say it's going to be a dazzling three-all draw, mostly because none of the 22 players on the pitch are going to give a shit anymore. That is the prediction at the end of the season. Um, so, yeah, we'll go three-all draw, ragged brace, and a Tyler Walker worldie from 35 yards Sign him up. <laughs> Freddie Webb, what are you saying? Oof. Let me have a think. Fred, you've right. had an hour. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with a 3-1 Pompey win, purely on the basis of what we've heard about the patchwork job defensively. Goals, Pompey goals will be from Aidan O'Brien, Marcus Harness, and Connor Ogilvy from a corner with a consolation from Callum Wright. I'm going to go with a much more standardised 2-0 Pompey win. I think we look solid against Bolton. You know, penalty was a bit of a mishap. Let's let's have a clean sheet in this one, please. 2-0 goes from... I'm Obviously, I thought of this before, before I'm thinking right now. Goes from Aidan O'Brien. Why not? Keep the streak going. And Hayden Carter to pick up another goal. I think he's, I think the man's on fire. I can see it happening. Right. Andy Mitchmore, great to have you back on the show, even though you hosted it last time, but I feel like that's the what I should say. <laughs> great to have me back, even though you weren't on the last one. Yeah. Thanks, nice to yeah. be here in the guest seat rather than the hosting seat. A lot less pressure. I've had my, well, it's not exactly a pressured gig, is it? But yeah, no. nice to have a, a chat while watching. Well, I've got, Russia FC, Chelsea losing to Real Madrid, which just injected it into my veins. It's a good evening of football, this. Yeah, enjoyed it. Thanks, mate. Lovely to see you both. Love you both very much. I love the uh, the hoodie you're wearing, by the way. What What is the hoodie? I mean, it's pink, it's blue, it's yellow, it's, it's mishmash. Is it a Harlequins hoodie or what is it? No, this is Sidemen clothing, Sidemen apparel. Uh, apparel. Wow, are you 12? Pause. It fucking excuse me, what? He's fashion with the side with the sideband KSI clothing. Fashion rinse by Freddie. Right. Can we just claim like no pause? Fred is claiming that I'm apparently a child whilst admitting that he just named one of the sidemen. Like, what are you doing, Fred? You can't can't have it both ways, mate. Oh, Either you've heard of it and you're as bad as me, or I'm a child and I don't know, can't have it both ways. So well, we got boys, we got an actually. hour and a half. I don't know, Andy. I've you know I've heard of Justin Bieber, but I don't listen to his music. Is it, you know that's that's the thing, right? Yeah, but Justin Bieber's a little bit bigger than KSI, although he did have the Logan Paul boxing match. Anyway, uh, I managed to get an hour and a half into this without getting fucking slated. So I didn't expect it to come from Freddie, who's apparently somehow like pulled into his little magic box and pulled out a sense of humour. Don't know where that came from. Is it Pandora's box? And we don't... Ooh. I know. The, the claws are out. It was all very civilised beforehand. Now he's got his claws out. Wrap it up, Hugh. Wrap it up. I'm going to be uh, DMing, <laughs> sliding into Freddie's DMs. What the fuck, man? No Lovely to see you No both. more nudes. He's sick of it, mate. All right? He's just bombarding his inbox daily, sliding with, into his DMs. What with so nudes? It's an absolute disgrace, the internet. What with nudes? Yeah, yeah. Well, don't send me them, Hugh, and I won't forward them on to Freddie. Simple as that. It's your own fault. You keep asking me for them. I, I just I just do what your people ask me. Podcasting and whatever you want. 
Oh, that's an offer. But new buy me a coffee deal. If you buy five coffees for us, Hugh sends you a nude. That could be a deal. I love the way Andy's basically pimping me out now at the end of the podcast. Or, you know, no, this is this kind of man it. he is, people. Pimping people out for money. No, but I think we're not quite in the position where we want to get on Patreon, but we could have an example with, because, um, you know, we don't actually want to charge people to listen to us because no one would listen to us. Yeah, let's be honest, it's not going to happen. With with Buy Me A Coffee, we could have, like, little rewards in place. So if, like, one coffee, you get, like, a, a nipple photo from Hugh. For three coffees, you get a cut of Freddie's beard when he next trims it. And for five coffees, I don't know, you maybe get a, I don't know, we should do a naked calendar or something. I don't know. There's there's ideas. Spitball, let us know what you want for five coffees on Buy Me A Coffee. At PO Forecast. <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to take us up on that, mate, I'll be honest. Honestly, and until next time, yeah. <laughs> play up, Pompey. He didn't say goodbye to me. Really he didn't sad. say goodbye to Fred. Leave me alone. Sorry, Freddie. I got, I got all flustered in what was going on there. Freddie Webb. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast, my friend. Yeah, lovely to come on as always. And thank you, guys. Yeah, and we'll see what the end of the season's like, shall we? We'll definitely see what the end of the season's like. For good or worse, we're going to be here pumping out content until the very end. And until next time, play up Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle.